Hello, folks, and welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. We hope that this message will bless your heart, draw you closer to Jesus Christ, and help you in your daily walk as you seek to serve our Lord. The book of Judges, chapter 6 this morning. Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6 will be there. When you get to Judges, chapter 6, look up here. In the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we're told of the story of Jesus having the man bring his son to him who had an impure spirit. You remember that story. The man brought his son. He told him how the spirit had seized him and thrown him on the ground and he would foam at the mouth. It's in Mark chapter 9. And he brought him to Jesus. His disciples had tried to cast out this spirit and they were unable to do it. So they brought the boy to Jesus. And Jesus asked the man, how long had he been this way? He said, since childhood. And then the man went on to say it had often thrown him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. And then the man said, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' reply, if you can, he says, everything is possible for one who believes. And in verse 24 of that chapter says, Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And so Jesus went on to drive out the evil spirit and the boy was restored to health. And that's where the title of this message comes from this morning. We're going to look at Help My Unbelief as the title. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6 for the next two weeks. Looking at the story of Gideon. Help My Unbelief. How strong is your belief? How strong is your faith? Now you could possibly answer that question in one of three different ways. You might say, my faith is strong. I believe. I never have any doubts or fears. And if that's your testimony this morning, we're going to pray for you because I know you lie. (laughs) Or maybe you would say, well, my faith's pretty strong most of the time. But then there are times where it falters. I have some fears. I have some doubts. I have some anxieties. You have what I call a noble Duke of York faith. When you're up, you're up. When you're down, you're down. When you're only halfway up, you're neither up nor down. You remember that song we sang it in elementary school. And so let me remind you what Scripture says there. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But you know, as well as I do, if you watch the news over the last year, or the last month, or even the last week, you can have some fear, and you can have have some anxiety, you can have some doubt, you can wonder, what in the world is going on? I told somebody this week on the phone, I... 
I made it a practice to not watch the news back in March of 2020, and I have pretty much stuck to that. Most of the news that I get now is either on Facebook or on the Internet. Occasionally I may be visiting with one of you or in a, in a waiting room somewhere, and there's a, the news on, and I'll watch it for a brief period of time. But y'all life has got too much already weighing on us to add that extra fear and worry and doubt that we watch if we watch the news. And it doesn't matter who it is. It could be CNN, Fox, or whoever. All they're going to tell you is the bad stuff going on. So why would we pour more doubt and fear into our mind? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying we don't need to know what's going on. Let me make that very clear. We need to know what's going on around us. But what we need to watch is we need to make sure that we're not letting that rule our world. And so we get back to our original question. You could have a rock-solid faith. You could have a faith that's kind of up and down sometimes, which probably most of us fall into that category. We have some times where we're really strong, and we have some times where we get consumed with doubt and fear. But then there's a third thing. You could say, well, I don't believe at all, and I trust nobody in, that room, in this room here has that view. But we know a lot outside these doors have that view. So in light of that, question how strong is your faith do you really have that kind of faith that's described as unshakable would you follow the lord anywhere he'd have you to go the first summer out of high school i went to work with mr wade smith at five point service station i worked there uh, that first summer and then on saturdays for several years there was a man there by the name of willie and he worked for wade when wade had five points years before and then when wade went in business with another man up the road Willie followed him up there. And then when Wade decided to come back to Five Points and reopen it, Willie followed him down there. And I heard, heard the story told of a farmer that was sitting there amongst all the guys drinking coffee at Jack's one morning in Brooksville. And Willie came in and the man said, Well, Willie, I see you've been with Mr. Wade before at Five Points and you followed him up the road. Now you've followed him back. And he said, I guess you're going to follow him to the grave. And Willie said, Yes, sir. As soon as they dig that hole, before they put that first shovel of dirt, I'm going to step right over in there with him. He was lying, of course, but joking, but he, he cut the man off pretty quick. See, Willie knew that if he stuck with Wade, they were going to be successful, and they were for many years. They had a good working relationship. They, they had good business there together for a long time, and they're both dead now. All of them are dead. Everybody in that story is dead. But we need to have that kind of faith in the Lord. We need to have the kind of faith that is unshakable. The kind of faith that we have in Him where we know we'll be the happiest. And we know that with Him working in us and through us, we're going to live the Christian life that we need to be living. We need to have the kind of faith that causes us to put to death the old man. Step over in that grave and be raised to newness of life with Him. This morning we're going to look at a man named Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Gideon was one of the judges in Israel who God used in a mighty way to rescue the children of Israel from the oppression that they were facing at the hand of the Midianites. And Gideon is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as having a strong faith. Listen there in Hebrews 11 starting verse 32. The writer says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith 
conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Now, Gideon is listed in that group of men touted for their faith. And you would think that because of that, you get the impression that Gideon was a super saint. But when we look in Judges chapter 6, we get a, a different story of Gideon. We see a man who, maybe just like you, maybe just like me, has some doubts and fears and questions the Lord sometimes. And so, as we look at this passage this morning, I have three thoughts I hope to lay on your heart as we look at this together. But let's read together Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And we'll read through to about verse 16. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So Midian, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn what you'd have us to know in this passage, Lord. Hide me behind the cross. Let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and minds today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By way of a little bit of background on this passage... Scripture tells us in Judges chapter 2 in the previous few chapters that Joshua and all that generation of people that were alive when they came into the land, they, they all had passed away. And a new generation had risen up that didn't know the Lord and didn't know what the Lord had done. We were talking about some of that in Sunday school, how people get further and further away from God and what they 
know to be the truth. And it says that they had done evil in the sight of the Lord and worshipped and served the other gods, just as he told them not to do. And this aroused the Lord's anger, so he had turned them over to be oppressed. All their enemies all around them had one at a time taken hold. And it was that vicious cycle where they couldn't defend themselves and they would cry out to the Lord, help us. And he would send a judge to deliver them. And everything would be good for a while and they'd get away from God and repeat the cycle. Turn away from God again. And so that's what's happened here as we begin in this passage in chapter 6. We pick up where they had done evil in the sight of the Lord again. And he turned them over to the Midianites. And they had oppressed them for seven years at this point in time. It says in verse 2 that because of the oppression from Midian, the Israelites had made shelters in, in the clefts of the rocks and caves in the hills to hide. Midianites were cruel and harsh people. They were nomadic people. They would move in like a swarm of locusts and consume everything in their path. And I thought about, we've heard a lot about army worms this year coming out of Texas. And matter of fact, we had some worms in our pecan tree back a few weeks ago and there's a cluster of them and they were just moving up the limb and just destroying everything in its path. And that's the way these Midianites were. They would move in when the grain was ready and would decimate the whole land. Ruin the crops. And Israel cried out for help in verse 6. And God doesn't send them help right away. He sends them a prophet to remind them. To remind them what he had done for them. And to remind them of their disobedience. And then we're introduced to Gideon. When we see Gideon, this supposed champion of the faith, he's hiding in a wine press, threshing out grain. I did some reading this week. Most of the time when they would the threshing floor would be up on a hill where the wind would blow the chaff away as they beat the grain out, thrash the grain, and the good grain would fall on the flat, hard surface and all the chaff would be blown away, all the little bits of trash. But here he was down in a wine press, down in a pit, doing it to hide from this group of people that were oppressing him. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You almost have to laugh when you read that. Here's this cowardly man down in a pit, hiding, trying to salvage what little bit of grain he could. And God calls him mighty warrior. And that's the first point I want to bring to you this morning. Why would he call him a mighty warrior, one who was hiding and being a coward? Because God sees us what we will become. He sees us as what we will become. He looks at us and he knows everything about us. He sees the finished product. Listen to Psalm 139. We've got a few verses from Psalm 139. Verses 1 through 4. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And in that same psalm, verse 13, and then verse 16. Verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
In verse 16 of Psalm 139, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knows us from beginning to end. He sees this finished product when He looks at us. He sees what we can be and what we will become with His power and with His strength. Remember, He spoke to Abram back in Genesis 17. And He said, You're not going to be called Abram anymore. You're going to be called Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now, at that time, Abraham was 99 years old. And his wife was about 90. And God says, you're going to be a father of a multitude. Now, Abram had one son from his, the handmaiden, from his wife's handmaiden. He had it when he was 86. But God said, Ishmael will not be the son of the covenant. The son of the covenant will be born from your wife Sarah. And from there you'll be a father of a multitude. You'll be a father of many nations. Because God saw the completed product. He knew the end. He knew what would take place. You see, God sees you and me the same way. When He looks at us, He sees the completed, finished product. Like an artist. Anybody have artistic ability? These three ladies right here on the front live in the house with me. You can hand them a pencil and a piece of paper and come back 15 minutes later and be amazed at what you find. Not me. You hand me a pencil and a piece of paper and what you get is something that looks like a cross between a Dr. Seuss novel book and a Stephen King novel. That's what, when I draw something, that's, it looks like a Dr. Seuss cross with Stephen King. I cannot draw. I do good to write my name. But an artist can see the end product before they even get started. You know, I hate putting things together when you open the box up and you've got the instructions. And so many times nowadays you just have pictures. It blows my mind. I can't deal with pictures. I'd much rather have the words spelled out. Do this, do this, do this. But so many times now they do the pictures. I'm all thumbs. Renee says, that's why you didn't make it in engineering school. Because you can't see what you need to put together. And you think about these people that have a chunk of wood and a chainsaw. And they go to work and make this beautiful statue with a chainsaw from a chunk of wood that looked like nothing. God sees the end result. He sees us as what we will become. And that's what's taking place here with Gideon. You know, sometimes we... look at people and we say he's too old she's too young they haven't been a Christian long enough they've been a Christian and been in church too long to be effective for God but that's a lie we forget that God through his help he's going to make us what we ought to be we get blinded by all the doubts and fears and anxieties that we have. And that brings us to our second point. We don't see God for who He really is. Look at verse 13 of our text. Gideon says, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? 
But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. He says, why are these things happening? I thought God was on the throne. Does that sound pretty familiar? A lot of us sometimes say the same things. Why is this happening to this family or to us? Why is all this going on? Gideon says, if God did all these things back then when they were alive, where is he now? Sure doesn't seem he's in, like he's in control now. I read a story this week of a mom reading some Bible stories to her daughter. She told about David and Goliath. She told about Jonah and the great fish. She told about Peter walking on the water. Jesus feeding the 5,000. A little girl interrupted her mom and said, Wow, Mom, it seemed like God was a whole lot more exciting back then. Sometimes we feel that way. We look at all these stories and we think, what has he done for me lately? Where is he? And that's just what Satan wants us to believe. He wants us to question God's abilities. He wants us to forget who God is. He wants to take our eyes off the Savior. He wants to make us forget God's promises. There's so many promises of God that He has for us in His Word and he wants, Satan wants us to forget those. God's power, His, his provision, his, his providence. I think no other verse probably in the whole Scripture encases that whole deal. The promises of God, His power, His provision, His presence. Is Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Listen to this verse. God's Word says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We don't see God for who He really is. And then the third thing I'd have us to see in this passage this morning. We don't see ourselves for who we really are in Christ. Philippians 1 and verse 6 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at verse 14 of our text. After Gideon said, what about God? He's done all these things in the past and now where is he? He's turned us over to the Midianites. And the Lord said to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have. Here's a coward in a pit beating out wheat so that he won't get caught. And God says, go in this your strength. Some versions say, go in your might. What is he talking about? Gideon says, what strength? In verse 15. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my family. He says, who am I to do anything? My family is the weakest and I'm the run of the litter. And in verse 16, the Lord answers him. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. That's his strength. God says, I will be with you. And that ought to be enough. It ought to be enough for us today too. I mentioned earlier, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Yet so many times we don't realize who we are in Him. We forget that. We question and we ask for a sign from above. In effect, we're saying, help my unbelief when we do that. That's what Gideon's going to do later on in this story we'll look at next week as we continue with part two. But I'll end the way I started. How's your faith this morning? Are you having trouble with doubt and fear? We need to be encouraged and refreshed this morning. We need to remember who God is. We need to remember that He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He sees us for who we will become. And we need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to remember all that. Are you in Jesus Christ this morning? Is Jesus Christ in you? If not, He can be. He stands and He says, Behold, I stand and knock. If if you open the door, I'll come in and dine with you and you with me. Is He knocking on the the door of your heart this morning? If He is, will you open it to Him? Say, Yes, Lord. Come in. If you need to come down for this or any other reason this morning, the altar is always open. You come as the Lord leads you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this lesson from your word today, Lord. Help us to remember who you are, to realize who you really are. Help us to remember that you see us as a completed, perfected product. You know what's on the other side. You know what we will become. Let that strengthen us this morning, Lord, and help us to remember who we are in Christ. Scripture says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's our prayer this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.